0: For the families of missing people, the hardest part is not knowing. These families suffer an ambiguous loss, one that occurs without closure or clear understanding. Families are stuck in limbo that tortures the soul. Some days are filled with hope, others are consumed by a profound grief that can only be understood by those who experience it. I know something about this because I've covered these stories. I've heard the cries of these parents, wondering whether their child ate that day, slept that day, or was even still alive. Then the imagination turns darker. How were they killed? Did they suffer? To begin to make sense of what could have happened to Jennifer, We spoke with the people who knew her best, her parents, brother, and boyfriend. We had to know her aspirations and achievements, her personality and quirks, her social life and relationships with her boyfriend, coworkers, friends, her daily routine, and all her mundane habits. We set out to learn everything we could about this young woman whose presence could still be felt in Orlando Her photo on a tattered missing person poster on telephone poles and gas stations, 14 years after her disappearance. Was there a seemingly trivial detail about Jen that could prove to be material to the crime? As it turns out, there was. Which made Jennifer Kessie's disappearance all the more perplexing. I set out to meet the two people who knew Jennifer best Her parents, Drew and Joyce Kessie. Nestled in a quaint beach community about an hour outside of Tampa, the Kessie family home might blend in with all the others, if not for the SUV parked out front. The Genmobile, as the Kessies call it, has Jennifer's beaming face across the side of it, the crime tip line prominently displayed underneath it. A perpetual reminder of the nightmare they're living. I had talked with them before on the phone. I had seen their face hundreds of times on TV. Their daughter's image is seared in my brain. I could manage this one, I thought. I, I was wrong. Upon greeting Drew and Joyce at the front door, my focus became undone. I was distracted. Really distracted. As I sat on their couch making small talk about Florida beaches and the weather, I thought to myself, what is it? And then it hit me. It was Joyce. In person, she looked identical to Jennifer. Her wide smile, her heart-shaped face, the color and style of her short blonde hair. The resemblance was striking, and for the first 20 minutes, I couldn't stop studying her every feature. My connection to Jennifer in this moment was real and profound almost as if she was sitting right there across from me. Joyce spoke first.
1: How am I coping? Me personally, on any given day, it's a roll of the dice. You know, some days I think that it's still a bad dream and you wake up and realize that it's not. The sadness is so overwhelming. The missing Jen, missing talking with her, missing laughing with her. It gets harder as time goes on. It doesn't lessen. And I just think of the things that she's missed out on and that we've missed out on.
2: She would have been a great mom.
1: She would have been a really great <laughs> mom. But the sadness doesn't go away. The you know, I mean, it's not like we sit around all sad all the time. And when we do, have periods of lighthearted laughter and what have you. In the beginning, we both felt extremely guilty about
2: anything. Living.
1: Yeah. Really, about living, about eating, and a lot of little quirks we both developed during that time of, well, if Jen's being held somewhere and she's not able to take a shower, then we shouldn't take a shower. I mean like bizarre things like that that go through your head because you just, you don't know. There's no way that you could prepare yourself for the feelings and the emotions of that moment of getting that phone call and then the subsequent anxiety that continues to this day.
0: It's your child.
1: It's our, our love child.
0: For Drew Kessie, only one thing matters.
2: I honestly feel as if we've pretty much lost our life, that we're here for one reason only right now, and that would be to find Jennifer for the good or the bad period. Just let us know. Don't care how, don't care when, don't care why, and honestly, don't care who. Simply want to know where my daughter is dead or alive. That's, that's all I have. It's unconditional love. I, yeah. I literally get up, you know, like four or five in the morning every day and I sit for two hours and have a couple cups of coffee. And honestly, every day I cry to myself. I sit here and say, I don't believe in two hours I have to go out and make a living. You know, most of it is to get myself out the door because what you find out is the world does not stop for anyone or anything and either you're going to stay in it and try and cope and live with what you have or it will eat you up so fast that you'll be sitting in the corner crying for your mother so we have chosen to be proactive on every level i think it's part of us as people anyhow but it it, This is no life for anyone, even the person who did this to Jennifer. We don't wish this even on that person. But it's, it's...
0: It's a hell, it's a hell. We'll be back after this short break.
3: New from the Fox News Podcast Network, a look back at the 2000 election.
2: I will work for you every day and I will never let you down. Fox News presents Election Rewind 2000. Give me the opportunity to lead this nation and I will lead. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at guybensonshow.com.
0: I want people to know more about Jen, what her personality is like, what are her favorite hobbies, what are some of her quirks. If you could sort of paint a picture of Jen,
1: she loved children. She absolutely loved children. She started babysitting at a really young age and became, as I said, a mother's helper and then wound up babysitting for a child with special needs who had a feeding tube and a seizure disorder. And as a 12 and 13-year-old, on through high school, she would babysit for this uh, boy. In a very nurturing way. Oh, very, very nurturing. She lit up a room as a small girl her and her good friend Lauren, very free spirited, and they would walk around our neighborhood pulling a wagon, and they made up index cards, Mother's Helper for Hire. I mean, they started doing that at 11 and 12 years old. Oh, I miss her. I miss her a lot. I miss having her in our life.
2: She's daddy's little girl. And then, you know, whenever she wanted anything, the tone of the voice is just, Daddy. I'm like, what do you need, Jen? No matter what, as soon as you heard that, it was, what do you need? But we we were very close. I I was lucky enough to work out of the home my whole life in sales. I was able to get them off to school. So get them up, get them out. I love that personally. I absolutely love that. And I got to see them grow, I got to see them come home and what the, what, you know, let's do the homework and this and that and everything else. But Jennifer was just an open young lady. No matter what, she just wanted to talk and she wanted to share what was going on in her life. It was natural within the family, to be quite honest. We just sat and we talked. I mean, that's, this is what we thought family life is, honestly.
1: Jen, the ultimate bathroom peg. Um, the ultimate bathroom pig. I mean, she would leave her sleepwear on the floor, makeup all over the counter, just car pig. I mean, a car pig, (laughs) like, you have no idea. She'd have as neat as a pin as her home was. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Her car was the complete opposite. She would have, I don't know, how many junk mail... Things in the back of her uh, seat, in the front of the seat. She just always had stuff, shoes, pocketbooks. Oh, you know, you leave the house with this pocketbook. Oh, the other pocketbook's in the car. Let me quick switch. You know, quick switch.
0: I sat upright in my chair at hearing this. In my mind, I recalled past conversations I had with law enforcement about the condition of Jennifer's car the day it was found abandoned. The Black Chevy Malibu was described by police as neat. Not a single thing appeared out of place. I made a mental note of this as we continued our conversation. I delve more into it later.
1: Jen and I in high school we were like oil and water because we were too much alike. And we had a great relationship. Then high school and then, you know, that little conflict of, I know more than you do, Mom. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> and it wasn't until Jen went away to um, college and came home that first weekend that our relationship did the big changeover. And it became mother-daughter as adults and having almost a girlfriend type of relationship. We talked every day, Jen and I driving home to home from work. I'd call her, and we would just kind of, you know, talk about the workday, talk about people, you know, what you normally do, just what are you doing this weekend? What's going, you know, what's going on in your life? This might sound odd, but I feel very uh, fortunate that we had 24 and a half years with Jen. And I say that because... There are a lot of people that don't have that time. And we got to see Jen go through the teenage years. We got to see her graduate high school with honors and graduate college with honors and, you know, start a career that she had done an internship at the company she was working for. And when she graduated, they offered her three different positions of her choice.
0: It was no surprise to anyone. That Jennifer would go on to excel in her career. A finance manager at Central Florida Investments Timeshare Company in nearby Acoe, Jen stood out.
2: Basically what she did was she streamlined the operations of the largest timeshare resort in the world. All of their financials, everything, you know, anyone who went to their resorts, what they spent, what they paid, all, all the good stuff. And it turns out that she was very good at that and after she did her first department which was the moore's department she saved the company an incredible amount of money and the company then decided that it was a good opportunity for jennifer to go through every single department in the company to streamline
0: in talking about jennifer with me her parents repeatedly described her as honest to a fault
1: jen is just that kind of person that you want to be around she makes you feel good I'm going to tell you, if she didn't like you, she didn't care for you. She wouldn't give you the time of day. She would not. She
0: was sincere. She was yes. uh, genuine and mm-hmm. a straight, shooter. real.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> a straight shooter is right. You could piss her off and she would tell you because
2: we're from New Jersey and that's what we do
0: <laughs>
2: and she would let you know if she didn't like you, if you did something wrong or you crossed her. She wasn't a press um you knew you always knew where you stood with Jennifer.
0: in our four-hour interview with the cassies i learned something else about jennifer that made this crime so unbelievably ironic and even more difficult to grapple with jen was safety conscious big time she carried pepper spray on her keychain every day she checked in with her family She made sure to be on the phone with her dad or Rob whenever she was alone with the maintenance workers in her condo. And she was also a huge fan of crime shows like Law & Order, and would often talk about what she would do if she fell victim. Scenarios that most young people, thinking they're invincible, don't even consider. She was the safest of her sorority
1: sisters, known as Mother Hen and made sure people you know had their seatbelts on the doors were locked. Her and I were big Law and Order fans and I think that out of all of the police shows in my opinion I think that Law and Order is probably one of the um, most realistic of the police shows in that they teach you a lot of what to avoid, how to avoid it, or what to do in certain situations. And Christmas Eve the month before she was taken, Jen and I had had a mother-daughter day and, you know, the Mannies and the Petties and out for lunch and shopping. and We would talk about Law and & Order and the different episodes and what would you do if you found yourself being carjacked? Oh, well, you'd speed and crash your car because your air belt and she always wore a seatbelt. So like we ran these scenarios by each other and if, you know, if anybody tried to hurt you, scream fire, she knew these things. She knew that if she ever found herself in the trunk of a car to look for the trunk release or try to kick out the taillights, something. So I think the thing that I have one of the hardest things wrapping my head around is how can someone so safe fall victim to this heinous crime?
2: We, we were held up at gunpoint in our home before we had children. So as soon as they were old enough to start understanding safety, we started teaching safety to them. So they were, they were used, to, I mean, they were just, it was part of our lives, It'd just to be about being aware of what's around you. One of Jen's main things was a safety call, a safe call. It wouldn't matter if she was in the Target parking lot walking into the store. She'd have someone on the phone from her car in. And it used to be funny because if we got a call, it was, I don't know, the friends around? Yeah, no, just hanging with me here. You know, and she'd walk in talking to you and then, okay, good, I'm gonna, okay, I might call you back in about 10 minutes, okay, whatever. It almost was total habit. Mm-hmm. Just before she went away, she was trying to, fit, you know, get done with her punch list, which is all the little things after you buy a home that has to be done. And the people that were doing the work <clears throat> wouldn't leave paint. She had to get back to work. She's standing in the doorway. With the door propped open. Talking to me while these people are working. And she's like, Dad, I'm like this is like the sixth time. I can't get them to finish up. I'm like, what else do they have to do? Well, I need the white trim pin up because it's all scratched up and everything. I said, fine. Have them put white paint in a Tupperware container. I'll do it. I'm coming out next weekend. So, you know, no, we can't put it in there. We can't put it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, Jen, I'll buy paint. It's white paint. Don't worry about it. So she said, okay, And presumably, that was the end of that.
0: I learned that Jennifer was also fiercely protective of her younger brother, Logan, who was 21 years old when she disappeared. He lives in Utah now, and we spoke on the phone.
2: Horse, we were close yeah. and we cared about each other. Was she very so,
0: protective I mean, over you as her little brother?
2: Very protective. But not in a crazy way, but definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's just for sure. She always yeah, <laughs> for sure.
0: So if anyone bothered you, she was she was not going to stand stand still and let it happen?
2: That's the funny thing. All her friends will tell you, too, she was protective of me. But I didn't know it like that. And vice versa, though, yeah. honestly. It's, it's just tough. I have to be honest with you. I mean, I, I've done real well with the last handful of years of really compartmentalizing my life, you know what I mean? And really focusing on, like when we, when I decided to move, you know, it just like, I needed that change of pace. I needed to be out of all that because that was constant for like 12 years of my life. And it's draining,
1: mm-hmm. very yeah. draining.
0: It's like whatever, somebody,
2: whether they, a cancer patient or rape, like you can never put yourself unless you've been there. Correct. So it's very hard for people to really comprehend, like, how asinine is and how crazy in the experiences that we've had and how hard. Like, because it's just like, you just don't understand, man.
0: At 24 years old, Jen had found love. He was several years older and with a charming wit and a British accent. His name was Rob Allen. I called Rob at his home in Fort Lauderdale to hear him tell me, in his own words, about their relationship.
3: When Jen and I were dating, we had a Loved each other, carefree relationship, you know, you're forming something, and it was great. I mean, I didn't have a care in the world at the time. I mean, I always tell people when they ask me about it, I mean, take out the physical beauty. She's captivating. I mean, she'd walk into the room. I mean, smart, fun, energetic. Just great to be around. I used to look forward to see each other virtually every weekend. I know most people always would say I was cliche, but I really did look forward to the weekend because it was an opportunity to spend time with someone, even just watching a ball game or doing something mundane. It was just fun. How did you two meet? Jen obviously lived in Orlando and I lived down in, at the time, Fort Lauderdale. And um, my roommate I was living with had a convention or a trade show, a trade show up in Orlando. And we were both single at the time. And he was just like, hey, look, do you want to go up to Orlando? I've got a hotel room. We can go up there, have the trade shows during the day, and then we'll go out at night. And I was like, yeah, sure, sounds like fun. don't really go up to Orlando very often. I always kind of equate it to Disney and kind of pass that. I'm I'm not that young. But I went up there with Rich. And the last evening we were there, he happened to start talking to this girl. And then she had a bunch of friends there. (laughs) <laughs> and then I got talking to the, this, this one girl, which ended up being Jennifer, and just kind of hit it off right there. And then exchange phone numbers, which I know is something that she would never do. And I was a bit skeptical at first, but then we ended up communicating um, via phone calls for the next few weeks. And then um, decided after that, then we'd um, I'd go up there and we'd go out on a date.
0: What was your first date like?
3: I got to be honest, like just driving up from the two and a half hour drive, I'm kind of like, oh, this is a long way, but. Long way to drive, you know, for a day, but I guess testament to her that I was, you know, I had um, butterflies, which I always thinks a good sign. We hit it off so quickly. We were very, very happy. Although 12 months doesn't seem a long time, we filled an awful lot in 12 months and talked hours and hours on end. She understood me, and I would like to think that I understood her as well. Jen's always going to be a part of my life, and the Kessie family is always a part of my life and will continually always be there.
0: Jen's disappearance profoundly affected Rob, too.
3: Jen's story and Jen's ordeal is still very painful for me. It's just the fact that it's always there, but I have been able, through years of therapy and support of family and friends, been able to move somewhat in, you know, have some sort of a life, you know, having two children, having a wife who's understanding and ...of the situation as best as any spouse or partner could be. It's difficult because I always want to be able to assist in any matter that I can. It sucks. It's very difficult because you think of someone that you love... ...something happening to them and you know something's happened... ...but you don't know exactly what. You can go down that dark road and have images and thoughts and, you know... ...I mean, it's difficult...
0: I imagine the not knowing part really can, um... Wears on you. I'll never forget sitting inside the Kessie family home that day. As the conversation turned to dark thoughts about what may have happened to Jennifer, the late afternoon light flooded through the large windows of the house, illuminating the high ceilings and cheery beach-style decor. Drew and Joyce had moved into this house in Bradenton Beach just a few months before Jennifer disappeared in January 2006. It was their dream home. The house
1: is the house of broken dreams. We bought the house. And um, we were thinking Logan and Jen would be bringing their friends and their ultimate, like, you know, significant others and everything. And what a cool house. And we're five miles to Anna Maria Island in Long Bouquet, and it just, Life just intervened and drew us a big curve. And so we live here, but it's, I mean, it's two of us.
0: The same could be said of Jennifer's brand new condo at Mosaic at Millennia in Orlando. She bought it with her own money and moved in on Thanksgiving Day, November 2005, exactly two months before she disappeared. At the time... The units were being converted from apartments to condos. The grounds were impeccably maintained with colorful flowers and palm trees. Jen was the first person to close as a homeowner at the property. She was so proud of that. That condo was her dream home. And that too was shattered.
2: Jen had said that she wanted to, to buy her own place. And she asked for our help. So we went out several times to Orlando, looking all over, it kind of came down to two places, right there and literally about half a mile down the road on the same, same road there, and I said to her, I'm like, I think this is the place I'd like you to see, you know, I'd like you to be, and this and that, and it was beautiful, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place, so she, she agreed, and she was off to it, I mean, she was so proud, it, it was her. Nobody co-signed on anything, and, you know, it was... At
1: 24 and a half. Yeah,
2: and it was, it was $210,000 yeah. in 2006.
0: We were talking about that yeah. earlier. <laughs> that's impressive. When exactly did she move into the condo?
1: It was November 24th in 2005. It was Thanksgiving Day. It was Thanksgiving Day, and exactly, and I still find this uncanny, two months to the day. January 24th.
0: Jennifer disappeared on January 24th, one month after Christmas. And her holiday decorations were still all over her condo.
1: I've got to tell you, it was absolutely crushing. When we got there, and I didn't take the stuff off the table right away. It was crushing to take it off and to put away her Christmas to move, decorations. To move everything. And we had a lot of guilt because, oh. you know, when... We had helped her look, and when she got it down to the two condos, Drew and I were in favor of Mosaic at millennia.
0: That guilt would turn into a sadness and anger that was inconsolable in the months and years that followed Jen's disappearance. In our next episode of House of Broken Dreams, one woman emerges from the shadows for the first time to tell me her harrowing tale. She lived at the Mosaic when Jennifer vanished. Her story was far worse than we could have imagined.
1: My friend would see somebody out and about late at night taking pictures of her. This is a legit zoom in camera. She would say she would see this person, like sometimes in a hallway. She was seriously worried for her safety.
2: This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music or subscribe wherever you get
3: your podcasts.